Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 249. Today is the 24th of September, 2017, and this interview is with Stan Phelps, a man with many feathers to his cap. In this conversation, Stan and I explore how companies need to move from being merely customer-centric to truly purposeful, and why that's not only good for society, it's good for business. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Stan Phelps, you and I met over a rather wonderful IBM-hosted dinner uh, in London uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so, Stan, you are, you've got a, a multiple hats. Uh, but first of all, I noticed, of course, you are a, an, what do you call it, an IBM futurist. You're also futurist, a, yes. Yeah, you're also a, a speaker, spoke at a TEDx, uh, and you've done, you facilitate workshops at Pure Purple Goldfish as well as contributing to Forbes and being a faculty member at ANA's School of Marketing and serving as adjunct instructor at Rutgers. So that is a full plate, Stan. So as I like to ask my guests I, as we get on, tell us what is your mindset and who are you? So I'll, I'll jump into my mindset first. You know, my first 20 years in kind of my career and were in marketing and I realized that marketing was shifting so dramatically and that I was on the wrong side of it, Minter. Everything I had done as a marketer was about eyeballs and earlobes. And it was about interruption and it was about telling and not creating an experience or a dialogue. Mm. And so I had a little moment of truth maybe about uh, eight now, about eight years ago now, and it led me on the path to think about trying to become the change um, and to try to shift people's mindset of how they look at marketing and business in general. So what was that epiphany? What happened to make you move from, you know, I suppose, programmatic, automatic clickbait right. to some higher purpose? So I... Uh, well, I, I spent about a year writing about everything under the sun in in just marketing and business. And uh, I was in New York City. It was it was uh, eight years ago, and I had an interaction with an older gentleman at one of these nice rooftop bars in Manhattan. So it was the martini. <laughs> it wasn't a martini. wasn't We weren't having martinis. I was having. I, I laughingly say I was enjoying, as you only can in Manhattan, a $15 beer, <sighs> if that's possible. Right. And I, so I, I start a dialogue with this guy because I notice, Minter, that he's waiting for someone. I can see him scan the room every once in a while. And so I just start conversation with him. I said, Ob- obviously, you're waiting for someone. And he agrees. Yeah, he says, I am. And I said, well, they're obviously not on time. And I said, he looked at me strangely and he said, on time. He said, no one in life is ever on time. I said, well, I've been on time before. And he, he shaked his finger at me and he said, no. He says, people in life 
are either early or they're late. He said, on time is a myth. And I, it was, it was kind of the thing that I was looking for mentor because I went home that night and I said, you know, the same thing applies in business because no one ever just meets the expectations of a customer or even an employee. You know, you either exceed those expectations or you fall short. And I went home that night and I, re- I literally said, I'm going to start to look for companies that make a conscious decision to do a little bit more. And that kind of led me on the journey. That's a wonderful story. So I mean, as I was listening to you, I was just sort of imagining what exactly did he mean? But so what he meant is that actually, you know, in terms of GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, you right. don't you don't arrive at sixteen colon zero zero colon zero zero colon zero zero. You arrive maybe at zero one or at fifty nine fifty nine fifty nine. Right. Beautiful. Wow, lovely. Love that. So you talk a lot um, about this, uh, how business is moving and a new four point version. So I need to know what does that look like. <laughs> What's one two one point oh two point oh three point oh? Exactly. Where are we? I do think, you know, and this is kind of my own evolution as well. You know, I really thought that, you know, simply the 1.0 version of business was all about just the shareholder Hmm. and that your only purpose was to engage in activities designed to maximize shareholder return. That's like a business school principle that just just keeps on ticking. Yeah. and And I think that's a very simplistic way of looking at business, certainly profit. You can't be in business if you're for profit business without profit. But that's as shallow as saying, you know, the purpose of life is just to eat, right? Because if you don't eat, you're going to die. Right. But that's, I think there's a much greater purpose. So the, the 2.0 version was a little more enlightened. And about 30 or 40 years ago, people started to understand that hey, we don't just put the shareholder first. Let's actually put the customer first. And, you know, without customers, there is no profit. And so I think that was the the 2.0. And I think that was a little more enlightened. But probably in the last 15 or 20 years, you've seen the emergence of a 3.0 version, which was all about a focus on culture Mm -hmm. And putting the employee first, mm-hmm. understanding that the, the the experience that you provide for your customers is almost never exceeded by the experience that you give to your employees. And without engaged employees, you can't have happy customers. Mm-hmm. And I think we're on the cusp of the 4.0 version, and that's actually putting purpose first. And putting purpose at the center of everything that you do with potentially employees second, customers third. And ultimately, if you do that right, the profits will 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 be much greater than if profit first was the motive. All right. So I love that, as you can imagine. And I think companies have barely moved to 2.0. Well, I, I think the you know what one of those great uh, quotes is you know the future 
is actually already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Right. So I, I think you you have a greater amount of companies that have evolved to a 2.0 mindset. And you, you know, you can't go to a conference nowadays or throw a throw a stick without hitting, you know, the term customer experience. So I think that's prevalent. I think some companies have realized we have to look inward first to our own employees. But I think the ones that are really um, have understood the bullseye in the center is to understand their own reason for being and are able to communicate that reason for being to both their customers and their employees. Huh. All right. So cool. Let us um, talk about uh, your, your, your definition of purpose, because uh, I'd say that as much as we might now throw a stick and hit some people is customer centric, you've got a few people who actually got the Kool-Aid about the employee and, and making the culture right, although right. probably not very many. And it's an organic thing that, of course, can go belly up as soon as you change CEOs or whatever. But what about purpose? Well, how, how do you define what is purpose? So I think in the simplest form, purpose is kind of your, your raison d'etre. It's your reason for being. I, I see purpose as kind of the North Star that guides each and everything that you do. And it's the thing that you hold up and you aim towards and you may never get there, but it, 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 it is true to your core and your reason for being. And I think it's, I think a lot of times people, Minter, confuse mission with purpose. All right, what's the difference then? How do you define the purpose, mission? Well, I, th I think the mission is more about what you do, whereas the purpose is more about the why. Mm -hmm. And so the, the mission is can be very functional. You know, we serve X customers providing Y products or services, whereas the purpose is much more kind of emotional and reaching in terms of what they do. You know, the mission is more about, you know, strategic, like in your head, whereas the, the purpose is much more aspirational and empowering. Would you put it close to the word vision then, because that's another word that one sometimes uses, you know, have the vision and then that's way out there. And then the mission is sort of the, how we're going to achieve the vision. Yeah. I, I think, I think vision is much closer aligned with purpose. Um, but I, I think, per, you know, vision can be something that's um, looking really towards that future. Whereas I think the purpose is that very specific point um that north star that, yeah all right yeah. so all right so i hear you of course and i you know i love these these kind of conversations but i have a couple of let's say counterpoints one is sure. hey i want to make a million that's my north star that's my very specific point and then well, i am motivated by that that is my purpose to be all i need to do is make a million bucks and then the second one is, well, shit, I don't want to be Mother Teresa. Wait, wait a second. What are you trying to make me do? 
uh, you know, s- smoke some big weed and 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 then do you know save the world. So right. how do you then qualify a mission? Because you know, in between, let's say I want to make a million and I want to be Mother Teresa. You know, some are bigger and some are better, and some work and some don't. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think that is the the ultimate struggle, and it used to be. I think a, a line in the sand. You either had to decide that you were going to chase the profit and um, kind of sell out and do everything that you could just for the almighty dollar or pound or euro, or you went the route of I'm going to be so you know very much purpose driven. That purpose is going to guide everything that we do, but you're probably going to have you're probably going to have to raise potentially if you went that full purpose like nonprofit route you're going to have to raise money you're going to be the starving artist you're going to sacrifice but you're going to be fulfilled right happy poor <laughs> happy poor right well I, I think we live in a world now mentor that um and a f- good friend of mine who wrote the foreword for my book about purpose the red goldfish he lives we live we no longer have to choose between or you can have profit and purpose. But I, I think what the difference is, I think going forward, profit will be more of a result of having a strong purpose and being able to communicate in that way that differentiates you to both your customers and your employees. All right. So, you know, let's, make, let's move along from the million dollar. But then let's scale it up for me towards Mother Teresa version. So, because my purpose is to make all windows better, better insulated. Right. I mean, so I could see how I could twist that to be a more purpose for the planet. Because by mm-hmm. being better insulated, or right. I don't know, there's some, there's some story you could wrap around there. And and then other ones, you know, a little bit higher where you're trying to save, you know, starving people or, or you know, stop wars. Yeah, so I, one of the things I – look, I think that there, you're not going to get much argument from people, Minter, about the importance of purpose. I think we all understand that. We can relate to it. I think if, if myself and my co-author added anything to the conversation, we looked at over 250 companies – And we started to look at the archetypes Mm -hmm. that you can start to go towards. Um, And so there's these, we defined eight different archetypes from, you know, the protector, the liberator, the designer, the guide, the advocate, the challenger, the unifier, and ultimately the last one, which I love is, is the master. And they all have kind of different, Um, kind of unique differences of how they leverage purpose from, you know, the protector is all about trying to protect what's important. And that could be anything. It could be the environment. Um, Whereas the advocate is about standing up for a specific group Mm -hmm. or the liberator is about trying to rethink a business model or to, you know, do things a different way. All the way up into the master 
who's really about trying to be revolutionary, to try to change lives and truly impact the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a lot of different ways that you can do it. And I'm not sure if I, I'm answering the question, but I think it's about trying to understand, um, you know, why the company and the business started in the first place. Mm -hmm. And how do you shine a light on that? How does that become a beacon for everything that you do? What, how do you hold up everything that you do against that light? Yeah, in my mind, as I'm listening to you, I, uh, you know, I'm thinking there has to be a scale of some sort, but really it doesn't. It ends up being how important it is for you and how you inhabit it. And then, and then you hopefully will craft, because you never, you don't usually start off with everything, all the answers right away. Right. You sort of then coalesce these ideas. Hey, that's a really great idea, Stan, that you're talking about. I really like it. And then that resonates and all of a sudden you get like goosebumps and, oh, wow, I should do more of that. And then, you know, it sort of, it, it, it carries its own weight. All right, right. So on a practical level, you, you know, there's this need to understand why you're doing what you're doing and, and, right. and then shine light on it and then keep nourishing it and so on. That's fine. All right, no, let's let's say we manage that, but we still have our shareholders. So sure. how do you go back to them and say, you know, I drank some Kool-Aid, I'm high on LSD, I really love it, <laughs> and you got to buy me. Well, studies have shown that if you actually you actually have a strong purpose and it's aligned with both your customers and your employees, you will actually outperform your competition. And where, where is that happening? Is that happening because your employees are more engaged? What kind, what kind of evidence do we see behind that that actually makes that happen? Sure. So uh, HBR did a great study on this, and they said over like a decade, they studied firms that have a strong purpose, and they were outperforming their competition by a factor of 10x. Um. James Heskett, um, and I'm forgetting his co-author, they've done a similar study. They've shown it as high as a 12x return. Um, and here's here's the deal. And I mean, I'll, I'll I'll give you a couple stats that really resonated with me when I was writing the book. You know, your purpose drives the values within your organization, mm -hmm. and so. This is shocking to me. PricewaterhouseCoopers said 86% of employees would consider leaving their employer if the values of that employer no longer meshed with their own. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side of the equation, the customer side, all things being equal, right? 86% of customers will decide to do business with a company whose values align with their own. Now, again, all things being equal, things like price, location, availability. Um, but I think, I believe, we are on the road to purpose becoming the ultimate differentiator in business. Well, you know, I so I, I use these uh, drug terms because these are typically things that make uh, your shareholders and all the rational people look at you askance, which is why I use that. But so, I mean, if we're talking 10 times, 12 times performance improvements, then why is it that we don't have freaking everybody doing it? 
Well, again, I think it's an evolution. I I would think that if you were in the 1.0 version of business, to jump to 4.0 is probably a difficult jump. I also think that we live in a world, especially for public companies, that put a focus on 90-day windows and quarterly returns. Um, the great companies see this as a much longer-term play and an investment as opposed to an expense. And I think they're the ones that are able to communicate it better with their employees so they, they don't have employee churn because people are bought into what they do with a much higher level of engagement. Um, and they're able to communicate, communicate that purpose to their customers in a way that they drive loyalty in sales. Stan, so when we're, I mean, I want to go back to the shareholder thing, because at the end of the day, in order to persuade and, and allow for change happening in a legacy company, you need right. to create some strong arguments. And one of the things that I tend to talk about is how the internet in particular has brought this focus on the employee as part of the experience as the raison d'être, or at least the reason why purpose is, right. is necessary. Are there, what kind of meat can we chew on uh, in order to persuade the shareholder, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do this for my company. I'm now going to shift. So I'm going right. from 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0. I'm on that journey. Right. But, you know, by the way, it's going to take me 10 years. Well, uh, well, yeah, I think that may be too long on the horizon, but it's, it's definitely a process. I, I think I, a lot of times it comes down to leadership and the ability to communicate that vision um, and the direction that you're taking the company towards. I'll give you an example in the, in the U.S. So a few years ago, CVS, which is, you know, they're like 80% of Americans live within three miles or five kilometers of a CVS pharmacy. And didn't they, didn't they merge with Walgreens as well? Is that the one that merged? No, no, Without, they're the two big ones, oh, are, Walgreens sorry. and CVS. Right, okay, that's right. So CVS decided a few years ago, Minter, not to sell tobacco. Right. So they took cigarettes out of the store. Why did they do that? They decided, well, they when they looked at their purpose, their company was about healthful living and helping people. And they saw that selling tobacco was in direct opposition to their purpose. So they don't sell Coca-Cola either. Uh, you know, that's a great question on what they do soft drink wise. I, I, I would imagine they, potentially they certainly they do, do. but, but um, you know, that certainly was a big step. And, um, you know, they actually saw a good kind of boost from that. Yeah. And I think what's interesting now in the majority of states here in the U.S., when you actually found your company, 39 states have the ability for you to charter the company as a B corporation or what's called a benefit corporation. And in your charter, it says this is the purpose and the benefit we are seeking. And what's interesting is you don't do it in lieu of profits. But what's interesting, your shareholders can actually sue you, Mentor, if you're no longer living up to the benefit 
and purpose that you declared. You know, so I was just thinking, you know, in the end of the day, of course, this Coca-Cola, they're clearly selling Coke. But in the end of the day, it's not being about an Ayatollah of a purpose necessarily. It is at least being a better, have a stronger purpose than your competition. Because that, in the end of the day, is where it's at. And, you know, going for the 100% just really won't do it. So in the realm of driving profits, there is the communication element and marketing of it. Hey, listen, we're going to stop selling cigarettes. Right. Look at my competition. They're still selling cigarettes. At least we're, at least in part, living our dream. And, right. we're, and we're making profit because if we're out profit, we're not good. So that can make sense. Both the shareholders and employees, you know, we're not going to be, you know, completely ridiculous about our dream. All right. So that's cool. Right. So then, so I don't know, is the B company, is that similar to social enterprise in your mind? Yeah. So that that very commonly, so there's two things. There's what's called benefit corporations or B corporations. And then there is a certification, which is called a B Corp certification. So that's a voluntary thing that you can do as your company. And um, there's a group here in the U.S. that, um, assuming you um, are, you answer all of the questions, you're doing the right things to be socially conscious, um, you can get that as a certification that you can continue to renew over time. Um, so there's definitely a movement. Um, some people would call it the B Corp movement. Some might call it conscious capitalism. Uh-huh which the founder of, of Whole Foods, uh, John Mackey, and his co-author, uh, one of the professors at Babson, Raj Sisodia, are big proponents of. Um, yeah, but I think there's a, I, I, if I simplify it, I think we used to have a situation, Minter, where we only looked at a company and looked at it, say, that is a for-profit company, and that one over there, that's more purpose-driven, that's a not for profit, you know, um, uh, non nonprofit enterprise. I think as we go forward, you're no longer going to make that that differentiation on their corporate filing status. You're simply going to look at a company and go, "That's a for purpose company," and that one over there is a not for purpose company. And people are going to want to work with, and they're going to want to do business with companies that are for. All right. So in terms of lags, I've mentioned or at least, you know, rebutted, if you will, the so we're one, two point three, four, four point oh and and the lag that companies are actually having within that. There's another one that I think is really strong on the subject of an article I just written, which is the lag between how I buy right. and how I interact as a customer. Hey, I'm gonna do business with that company, I'm gonna buy this product at Whole Foods because they believe in conscious capitalism, and how I invest in my four oh one K. Right. Uh, you know, you're you're starting to see, um, you're starting to see funds that are wholly uh, populated by socially conscious businesses. And what will be interesting, and again, I think going forward, I think um, those funds that have companies that have a very defined purpose will outperform those that are simply focusing on the quarterly return. Well, I mean, let's say statistically the 10 times, 12 times speaks to it. But at some level, what is it that makes that happen? What is it? What, what is the signal that says that is 
a company that is inhabited that has true purpose? How do you detect the difference between the one who's blowing smoke and the other right. who's doing it? Right. So, you know, there's, you know, whatever you call it, um, greenwashing, mm -hmm. or whether you call it, um, you know, a lot of companies have CSR programs, corporate mm -hmm. social responsibility. We live in a world that's so transparent now. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a reporter. It is almost impossible to say one thing and do another. Um, you only have to look to our current president in the U.S. right now. Um, you're going to get found out. And so um, I think there's a lot of transparency out there. And it's what I think is key and what I advocate for is don't try to do big things. Try to do a lot of little things that reinforce your purpose. Mm -hmm. We call the, I call these little things a red goldfish. But there are these little things that actually are these small little lights or beacons that, you know, show the direction of where the company is heading. And I think, you know, big doors can swing on very little hinges, but it's a matter of trying to figure out those little things that you can do effectively to bring it to life. So you mentioned Whole Foods now, which is now part of Amazon. It, it does, you know, so you got a, let's say, a, a company that's imbued with conscious capitalism that's sold out to a company that is not exactly known for being Mother Teresa, even if Bezos has, you know, amazing alternative ideas about space, about right. keeping media alive in a proper way. Yet, let's say for, I, I love Amazon, but what is the purpose of Amazon and, and how does Whole Foods marry with that? Let me just qualify one more element. L'Oreal sure. bought and then had to sell, disgracefully, if you will, or at least without success, the um, body shop. They bought the body mm -hmm. shop because the body shop was a company with purpose. And, you know, right. gosh, they were great and organic and then erotic. And then, whoa, didn't happen. Didn't happen, right. So, so in, in this conscious capitalism mode, funny thing you get bought by a company that's maybe not quite the same thing and things go bass backwards. Sure. So the purpose of Amazon and, and uh, you know, the vision or purpose for that Jeff Bezos set out was to be the world's most customer centric company. And so if you go back you know, six, seven years ago, they acquired Zappos.com. Right. Customer centric. And, and to me, that was a that was a company who really understood the 2.0 right. version, and really was a pioneer. Once they got the customer side of really focusing on the culture. In fact, there's a great book if people haven't read it yet, called "Delivering Happiness" by by the founder Tony Shea. Um, you know, I think their acquisition of Amazon, I don't think is I think is a an endorsement of how important purpose is in business. Mm -hmm. What will be interesting, you know, Zappos has been operated in the last six or seven years independently of the mothership of mm -hmm. Amazon. It will be interesting to see how uh, Whole Foods, you know, interacts with, with, with the mothership and if that 
starts to take away from the kind of conscious capitalist capitalist movement was created through Whole Foods. Because to your point, at some level, we say it's a journey, it's a process, but can you skip 3.0? Because let's say that 2.0, customer-centric for purpose, but if your employees are not living that, because being customer-centric is not something that's going to resonate for the employee. It's great. Right. We're making the shareholder, we're making the customer happy. We're making the shareholder happy. So we're doing one and two. Right. But three, what's in it for me? And so right. that's where the purpose needs to meld with the people who are on the front line serving you holy, holy fresh foods and right. you know, living that life and doing it and then happy. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you some new cheese and da da da. And, and they're making it come alive because that's where the brand is being lived. But if you don't have, within Amazon in particular, a culture that's employee-centric, hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff has come out in the last two years that shines a light that that, that um, you know, focus on the customer at all costs has really impacted the employee side at Amazon. And again, I think we live in a world that is very transparent, you know, whether it's simply like a glass door where people can get an insight of what a company's like before they go. Um, you know, there really should be no surprises anymore in terms of when you go to work for a company or decide to do business with a company because the information's out there. Hmm. Um, but they're, they're not, I mean, for example, let's say knowing Amazon as probably as you do, many people within, they were extremely <laughs> non-glass door with regard to what's going on and our practices. And, and so Apple, you know, the garden secrets and, and you know, there's sort of, there are lots of companies that are attempting still to hold that out. Listen, I know, Stan, that your time is precious and uh, where you are in North Carolina, you have to go and have some vittles to keep talking about food. So I, I, I'm, I would have loved to continue on, but I, I, I promise to deliver you on time. So tell us, uh, how can people connect with you, follow you, get your book? What's the best way? Sure. So um, kind of the main site for me is purplegoldfish.com. Or um, if you want to find more about the workshops and the speaking that I do, you can simply go to Stan Phelps speaks.com great and that's where we can find your book yeah right? red goldfish like you have a whole series of books right yeah i have a multitude of colors but uh red is the latest uh that came out earlier this year and really focuses on how you can leverage purpose to motivate both sales and loyalty well, I feel uh, highly motivated having spoke to you, Stan. It was uh, great. Loved having you on the podcast. Thanks for doing that. Uh, we will stay in touch and um, carry on doing what you got to do. Awesome. Thanks, Minter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me 
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.